you're listening to the Blue Marine Foundation podcast, sharing our passion for the wonders of the ocean. La mer, qu'on voit danser. Welcome to the Blue Marine Foundation podcast, produced in association with Planet Pod. My name is Amanda Carpenter, and it's a great pleasure to be hosting this series of podcasts for Blue Marine, a not-for-profit charity whose vision is a healthy ocean forever for everyone. They are dedicated to creating marine reserves, restoring vital habitats, and establishing models of sustainable fishing. We hope these podcasts will give you a glimpse of Blue's work above and below the waves, in the waters around the UK and in the oceans far away. By sharing Blue's stories and insights from the team, we hope you will come to love and treasure the ocean and its wildlife as much as they do. For many of us, the Maldives is a paradise holiday destination, a chain of 26 atolls that nestle in the Arabian Sea of the Indian Ocean, rich in marine life and coral reefs. The ecosystem is vulnerable to the impacts of climate change and much of the reef has been subject to bleaching. And Blue's project, Maldives Resilient Reefs, has been working with the local population to ensure the protection of the reefs. However, since the COVID pandemic has halted all tourism into the islands, the local population of half a million face a more pressing problem, how to fish responsibly and sustainably in their local waters that up to now have been the preserve of the tourists. To discuss the new project, Fish for Tomorrow, and Blue's other work in the Maldives, I'm joined by three members of the Blue team. Vivian Evans, International Projects Manager at Blue, is an enthusiastic diver and campaigner with an interest in coral reefs, reef fisheries, marine protected areas, environmental education and science communication. She started working for Blue in the Maldives, where she lived for two years after completing her master's degree. She now manages Blue's projects in the Maldives and Namibia. Welcome, Viv, to the podcast. Hello. Lovely to be here, Amanda. Thank you for having me. Our other two guests are joining us for the Maldives, so apologies if the line's a bit crackly and you hear the odd bit of birdsong in the background. Shahar Hassim is a marine conservationist and Blue's field project manager. She focuses on developing reef fisheries models and working with a local community and businesses to encourage them to engage with conservation initiatives. She's also an aspiring underwater photographer. Shahar, welcome. Hello, lovely to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Also joining us on the line from the Maldives is Ali Sharif, an avid scuba diver with a strong passion for the ocean. He started working for Blue in 2019 after completing a marine biology research internship with Maldives Underwater Initiative at Six Senses Lamu. After he became aware of the crisis in the oceans, he decided he wanted to help people conserve the environment and improve climate resilience in the Maldives. Ali, welcome. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. So before we get into some of the details about the new Fish for Tomorrow campaign, Viv, I wonder if I could perhaps ask you to paint a picture of what the Maldives are like for those listeners who may not have been lucky enough to get there. Sure. Um, I think I'll never, ever forget the first time I went to the Maldives. It was a place when I was younger. I thought I'd, I'd never get the opportunity to go unless I married some sort of rich man who was going to take me there on my honeymoon. <laughs> um, I was very fortunate whilst I was doing my master's that we, that we actually had a field trip to the Maldives. Um, and I mean, it, it really is like what the pictures, what the pictures paint you, you have these sort of incredibly white sandy beaches. Um, the water is, is colors of blue. I've never, ever seen before in my life. And I think that's the, that's the thing about the Maldives. I always remember is how 
blue the water is and you sort of around the island you sort of get um shallow very very light turquoise waters and as you go further away from these islands the colors of the water change sort of from this really light to sort of medium blue to then a very dark rich blue as the waters gets deeper and as you kind of move move off the side um a lot of the islands are, qu- are quite lush much more lush than people think um and lots of lots of lovely uh flora palm trees obviously um lots of bougainvilliers on a lot of the local islands which most people might not get to visit if they go to a resort um and and yeah the city is quite different uh, the central capital Mali is one of is the most one of the most densely populated places in the world and is the complete opposite of what you see in in the photos <laughs> Um, but the local islands are absolutely beautiful. One of my favourite things is, is um, they have these houses made out of coral, which back in the day was, was obviously how they, how they were able to build. Um, that's no longer allowed, but it's amazing. You sort of go up to these houses and they're stony and you can actually look and see the, the sort of markings of each of the corals. And if you're a bit of a nerd, like we are, we are all in the, at the blue team, then you can actually see what some of the species are. So it's really phenomenal. Um, and the people are people are beautiful and um, very good looking race of people, very friendly, of course, very warming. So. So, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like complete paradise, but but it's not all good news, is it? Because it is an incredibly complex and rich ecosystem that is actually seriously under threat, both from climate change and from from other dangers such as overfishing. Yes, that's right. And I think uh, part of the problem with with tourism in the Maldives is it does kind of um, give a slight false impression as to what's actually happening in the country. And of course, if you're a tourist coming to the Maldives, most of you probably most people probably stay on a resort and don't leave. I mean, they might go to the odd local island tour. But I think because of the way history has also shaped uh, the Maldives and because of cultural differences, uh, resorts have sort of been these quite isolated entities and communities and guests have not really mingled very much. Um, in other, whereas, you know, in other places, when you go to holidays in Africa, you might be much more sort of might get much closer to the to the local people. Um, I actually think one of the biggest threats to the Maldives, and I'm sure I don't know if Shah and Ali will agree with me, um, is, is tourism. And actually the risk of over tourism is, is a big one. Um, you know, back in the 1970s, when tourism started in the Maldives, there was only sort of 100 or so people coming. And um, this year there was set to be a a new airport uh, or the airport expansion which was going to allow 7.5 million people into the country and when you consider that the local population is only half a million you know that's 16 times the size so it's enormous and um, one of the biggest threats that that myself and my team want to work on is um, the threat to reef fish so these are the fish that you see uh, on a coral reef and you know coral reefs are what the Maldives depends on not only for its people but particularly for tourism um, and historically, Maldivian people didn't really used to eat very much reef fish. They always sort of preferred pelagic fish like tuna, which is the kind of main protein they have in their diet. And they eat it three times a day. It's very delicious, <laughs> very freshly caught. Um, but since tourism arrived to the Maldives, a lot of the tourists actually eat the reef fish. So and if you think about it, you've got 7.5 million people coming to the country um, all eating reef fish. And then in addition to eating that, they're going on recreational fishing trips where they're catching it. Um, and there's actually no regulation of that whatsoever. And, and for, for a coral reef to be resilient to climate change, to be healthy, you need healthy, thriving fish populations. You need abundant and diverse uh, species. Um, so actually, I think this is, uh, we, I think we're all in agreement. This is one of the largest threats to coral reefs and it's not really talked about. Um, I think 
in the Maldives, there is a kind of belief that because they've always had a very sustainable tuna fishery um, and they do fish actually for the most part in a very sustainable way on the reefs using sort of hand line and one by one fishing techniques. But it's more about the amount um, that you're fishing and, and coral reef fish are, are by way of their life history traits much more vulnerable to exploitation. So tunas reproduce much faster, but coral reef fish can you know, take years to before they can breed. And reproduce so they're much more sensitive to overfishing so the way that you view coral reefs in, in your pelagic waters needs to be different in terms of management and we're hoping that we're going to see um, that sort of paid more attention in the Maldives soon. Sounds like there's some really big issues to wrestle there with there and I think we should touch on some of them particularly the issue of tourism and, and ecotourism but before we kind of dive into that excuse the pun I'm um, sure could you just Tell us a little bit about what those fish are like. I mean, what does a coral reef look like and what kind of fish would you find if you were lucky enough to be, be um, you know, snorkeling or even scuba diving amongst them? <laughs> um, I still remember the first time um, I got to actually see underwater. That was, I think, in fifth grade, which is very strange because I, uh, I was born in the Maldives and grew up here. But didn't get a chance to really explore what's underwater. So, um, like when I first um, looked under, there were so many different um, shapes of fish in different colors, um, sizes, and designs. Like it, they all. It was pretty overwhelming to me um, because there's so much life. And in addition to fish, there's also uh, a lot of corals, hard corals soft corals, sponges, um, other sort of invertebrates like uh, giant clams, um, lobsters, a lot of shells. <laughs> so it's a huge abundance of um, fish and invertebrates um, and substrate um, around the island, protecting the island um, from outside forces as well as providing for us. And I assume... Um, beautiful colours and, and, and different, you know, different colours of fish and different types of fish? Yeah, so these uh, reefs host almost uh, one-fifth um, of the world's hard corals and um, what, at least um, 1,500 species of uh, fish. And uh, they're in different uh, groups. We have the bigger megafauna like sharks, uh, rays, uh, turtles. We have the apex predators like sharks. Then we have the secondary predators like groupers, snappers, emperors. And then we have the herbivores um, like parrotfish, uh, surgeonfish. And then the corallivores um, like um, filefish, uh, butterflyfish. And then um, a lot of uh, tiny life that we don't even know much about. Um, so it's a whole um, ecosystem working together. Each of them have a specific function to um, make this whole natural system work. Even um, if we take too much of even one layer of fish, it, it will have um, a devastating impact on, on the rest of the stuff. Sure, that sounds the most beautiful and incredible place. And for those people who are lucky enough to swim and dive in that, I can imagine it's a you know once in a lifetime experience for those of us who don't live there. I'm kind of intrigued as to why people would want to eat those reef fish because obviously you know um, they're so beautiful and they're so much part of your of your rich um, 
and diverse um, habitat. And obviously going to swim amongst them and film them and see them would probably be enough for um, most tourists, I would think. So, so what is it that's prompted people to eat the reef fish in the first place? Um, I think the, the impact that we have had on our reef fish population is very poorly understood because it has not been studied much. Uh, tourism was only introduced um, as late as the 1970s. Prior to that, um, we didn't target um, that much reef fish, instead preferring to eat and export pelagic species. So it's only over the past um, 20 or 30 years um, that we've started taking this much reef fish all at once. And it's only now that we have started to realize that these fish are really very different to the pelagic fish, which um, has a shorter reproductive cycle. These fish uh, live for longer, they mature later, and um, because, they, because of their biological characteristics, such as um, sex change um, as they grow older and formation of spawning aggregations, um, they are really vulnerable to overfishing. So in the absence of data and um, in the absence of um, management, um, people don't know that it's a bad thing to do. <laughs> it's, it's not the right thing. <laughs> so education is very important, um, especially um, because um, tourists who come here don't know the impact that they're having by eating and catching these fish as well as education of the local um, people are important because um, they don't know what their action and what the tourism industry's actions are having on their reefs. So it's like we have to work on um, three different levels all at once to address this issue. Mm. And I think it's just, I think it's just something that must have started when tourism first was set up in the Maldives. And it's sort of one of those things that perhaps becomes a bit of a trend and then no one actually delves into why these things are happening or, or, or says, hey, actually, why are we doing this? Do we know what we're doing here? You know, maybe back in the day in the 1970s, it was, you know, I assume, you know, a couple of foreigners came over and probably went out fishing with maybe a Maldivian and, and they sort of presumably caught a fish and thought, oh, well, you know, and some of them are quite tasty, um, particularly some of the sort of the larger ones, aren't they, Shah? Um, and so I presume it's just something that has started a very long time ago and no one's really thought to question it or, or why it's yeah. still going on. It's become yeah. almost like a habit, has it? It's just like a sort of mm. accidental thing because it does sound as if that isn't part of, you know, the traditional uh, food source. So why would you fish for something that is yeah. you know, that and it's a bit more difficult to catch and, and possibly far too beautiful to eat? And I think it's very much part of the tourism experience to to go to a resort or a guest house in the Maldives and go on a recreational fishing trip, which is almost, um, I guess, sold to people because Maldives, you know, is a fish. It's the fishing is a way of life for people in the Maldives. So when you come as a guest, they sort of say to you, you know, come and fish like a Maldivian. And so it would be really unusual to go to any resort or guest house and not see a fishing trip on the on the on the list of activities you can do. And I think it's it's almost ingrained in the, in the tourism culture now, um, which yeah, makes it very difficult to tackle. 
and also um, with an increasing Asian market, um, I mm. think we'll have even a harder time dealing with these issues. Yeah, because you know uh, a lot of um, Asian countries, like um, Chinese tourists, Taiwanese tourists, they love um, to eat the um, uh, white fish. Mm. <laughs> so um, a lot of uh, tourist resorts are also trying to cater to this mm. market. So it sounds wow. to me like you've got a kind of double problem here. You've got a problem of, of, of tourism, which obviously has been economically really important to, to, to the Maldives and to the islands and to the communities. And you've also got a problem of the local community perhaps not realising or understanding how important these fish are and their, you know, their lifespan and the importance of not interrupting that natural growth period of the fish. And also not overfishing. And some of the work that you've been doing, particularly at the moment, as part of your resilient reefs campaign and your fish for tomorrow, is to try and explain why those fish are important, isn't it? Ali, what sorts of things have you been doing with the local community to try and get this level of, of understanding improved and, and, and more widespread? Um, so we done range of activities with the community. Um, so a huge part of our work goes into working with the community. So um, we work with the youth uh, to build the capacity to teach them how and why we need to protect our environment and how they can get involved. Um, we run a program called Lama Silpardum, which means exemplary citizen, um, which aims to get um, youth from all different islands and get them together and then discuss about global warming, some of the um, uh, some of the crisis that our oceans face and how we can get involved. Uh, we also work with fishermen. Um, we try to promote sustainable fisheries uh, where we work in Lamu at all and also throughout the Maldives. Um, so we run education sessions with them. We go on fishing boats with them to collect data and also have a casual chat just to see um, what they think about uh, the crisis in the ocean. Um, we also run education sessions in collaboration with some of our partners like Maldives Underwater Initiative um, to, to foster a generation of um, Maldivians who is going to go forward and um, like take care of the environment. Really important to get your local community alongside you and working with you to support what you're doing. But Viv, I mean, the Obviously, the pandemic's had an enormous impact on all of our lives, but in the Maldives particularly, I guess it's put a halt to tourism. So there's nobody coming in. Um, and, and that's given you an opportunity to, to launch a new bit of campaign, hasn't it, at Blue? Yes, that's right. So, I mean, there's there's kind of almost few places on in the world that I think are so badly affected um, by the pandemic. We all know that tourism and travel is one of the largest uh, sectors that's, that's sort of um, been hit quite badly. Um, so what's happened in the Maldives is, is because all the resorts have, have closed um, and a lot of a lot of the Maldivian population work at these resorts, they've been sent back to their home islands. Um, some of them have actually been sent back um, without fair wages and some with no wages at all. Um, and there are some sort of um, social rights issues being explored around that. Um, and also a lot of so not only do these people have more time on their hands, but they're they're without money um, than they more than they usually would have. Um, and there's also a big population of uh, a, well, a group of fishermen who will who will be the fishermen that catch fish to set to sell to the resort, so the resorts can sell it to their guests. 
and they're obviously out of pocket as well. So COVID has kind of um, put Maldivian people in a very difficult situation where now a lot of them have less income, um, more time on their hands. And so they're turning to fishing for, for food, for fun, for, for income. Um, and at the beginning of the pandemic, um, we were seeing photos shared on social media of, of people going out on fishing trips and uh, fishing uh, illegal, in illegal ways and unsustainably. So catching uh, reef species in excess. So, you know, 20 giant clams, they're a nationally protected species or, or 20 parrotfish, which are a, a group of very important coral reef fish that... Um, that we know in places where they've been overexploited, the reefs will will suffer severely, and particularly after bleaching events, because they're able to scrape the algae off the reef and make make room for new corals to grow. Um, and you know, reef fishing has been something the team has been talking about for a long time. And you know, like Ali said, we've been working in Lamu to um, working with Six Senses, our partner resort, to make sure they're sourcing their fish in a sustainable way. Um, and I guess we saw this as an opportunity. You know, everyone's at home more, everyone's on social media and Maldivian people actually love their phones. <laughs> so not only is they, it's a perfect country to do any social media campaigning, but particularly during uh, during a pandemic. Um, and it was actually, you know, Shahar and Ali that said, you know, we've got to do something about this, guys. So they worked up a proposal and, and sent it through uh, to myself. And, and then Joe and I from, from our media unit got together and we said, OK, let's let's shape this. Let's make this. Um, you know something really fantastic and then um, and we've launched uh, two days ago so on Monday and um, we've had fantastic responses so far and maybe I'll get Sharon and Ali to say a bit about that because they're they're more in the know than I am they can read all the Devehi comments. <laughs> so what is it that you've launched exactly so Blue launched a particular type of social media or digital um, interaction and campaign what was yes. it? So, so the campaign is called Fish for Tomorrow, hashtag Fish for Tomorrow. It's, it's a kind of social, it's a social media campaign that also incorporates uh, digital assets, and, uh, a digital platform. Um, the campaign is really aiming to get people to, uh, to understand the reef species they find on their reefs, understand their, their life histories. So how long do they live for? How do they breed? And, and the, the characteristics that they have that make them so vulnerable to overfishing you know, so and we've made it really quirky and, and we've got things in there like, you know, did you know a Napoleon wrasse, which is a coral reef fish, lives longer than a leopard? And, you know, most people would have no idea about that because, you know, people just think, you know, humans, we like to think, um, you know, big things are, are larger and they live longer. Um, but actually, you probably never realise that a coral reef fish, you know, takes as long or longer to breed than a leopard and you never think twice about eating a leopard. So it's trying to kind of, I guess, anthropomorphize um, fish in a way and get people to think differently about that. So what, what the game is kind of, what the campaign is centered around is we actually, we've got this game, which is sort of based on the higher or lower, where you've got to choose what you think the answer is. So it's quite fun and quirky. And then that, when you finish that game, it sort of says, you know, you're an expert or you're not quite an expert or something like that. And it directs you to an educational platform where we have a list of species that we say, you know, these are really vulnerable species, do not take these. And then these are species you can take, but you need to fish them, you know, when they're larger than this size, which means that they've already had a chance to breed. Um, and so that's that's really the crux, of, the crux of the campaign. And can anyone get the game? We don't have to be Maldivian to play. 
you don't. You don't have to be Maldivian to game uh, to play. And there's lots of people at uh, Blue who have been playing it and playing it with their kids and even saying that they've learned a lot. So we think it's uh, something that can benefit everyone. But it would be great, you know, for um, some of the you know listeners to maybe get involved and play it so that you understand when you go to resorts in the Maldives, maybe you, you might not understand what, you know, what this fish is that you're seeing or you might see it on a menu when you go there. And you might, it might enable you to have a better understanding of, of, of kind of, you know, what happens on a coral reef and why these fish are so important. And we can find it, can't we, by just looking for fish play if we're on, on social media. Yes. So it's, it's all over. Um, it's on Blue, Blue Marine Foundation's uh, website. Um, there's a link to, to the game. Um, or if you follow Maldives Resilient Reefs uh, on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, you can find it. And we've got, you know, links spamming the pages. So it'd be very hard for you to miss it. <laughs> Ali, you've had some fantastic support, haven't you, from um, slightly more famous Maldivians who've been getting behind the campaign as well, haven't you? Um, yes. So uh, since the launch, we have seen a lot of famous artists uh, join, joining the campaign and showing their support. They've been sharing the content from the Maldives Resilient Reefs page. And also we've been reached out by a lot of other like celebrities in the Maldives that they want to support this uh, campaign because they do see uh, that we need to do something for our reefs our reefs are in trouble so it's it's nice it's so nice to get so many people um um uh, like supporting the campaign and also like the general public i think once they learn all about like once they find a new way of thinking about the reefs or the fish that they've been catching uh that kind of changes their behavior um for example one of my friends who is a regular pert fish somebody who regularly catches pert fish um was like, uh, I asked him just randomly when I met him, like, do you still catch birdfish? And he was like, no, birdfish uh, uh, pro, like, makes about 80% of the sand in our uh, beaches. And I was quite surprised to get it from him. So I think the knowledge has been, like, it's been shared around the community and it's um, somehow making a change the way that people act what we have. It's kind of so cool. And it's so good to get so many support from the the famous people or the celebrities to pass the message to a wider audience in the mall. It's yeah, it's just great. It's really, really important. Shah, but I can imagine there's a problem with the tour operators because obviously we've been talking about the fact that a lot of this overfishing has happened as a result of the influx of tourism, you know, seven and a half million tourists a year on a tiny set of islands. What sort of opposition do you anticipate from big tour companies and from some of those resorts if you go out with a message that says, actually, we need to stop reef fishing, we need to stop eating reef fish? Do you think there'll be a willingness to, to listen to that sort of message? Um, yes, I think um, there'll be a big support from the tourism industry because um, the, the luxury market is now more geared towards um, ecotourism and e- eco-conscious travellers. We have seen that already working um, at Six Senses Lamo, the partner resort that we are working with. Um, like all our initiatives um, that promotes reef health um, and sustainable fisheries have been received very well. And they have uh, received international and uh, national recognition for, for this sort of work. So that is what all the other tourism players in the Maldives are striving towards because um, they'll have a bigger market share um, by, um, by showing that they really care about the islands that their businesses um, are based on. 
Do you think there's an argument to say that tourism should be limited? You know, should there be a national policy or or, a, or or an agreement that actually says we need slightly fewer tourists to make this a longer term sustainable income for both the communities and to preserve the habitats? Yes, um, definitely. Um, at the moment, more than 75% of our land area um, are occupied. So we are running out of um, islands to cater to the increase in tourism industry as well as to the increase in population. Um, in the central atolls where the international airport um, is located, most of the <laughs> natural islands are now taken up and um, like many big international um, developers are now reclaim, actually reclaiming um, coral reefs uh, to make artificial islands uh, for tourism purposes. So this is not the real Maldives and this is not the real Maldives um, you want to market for tourism. Um, and this is a struggle um, and a challenge that we are dealing with today. Um, and by promoting these sort of sustainable um, tourism efforts and um, eco-conscious activities, we hope to change this um, in the Maldives. Yeah, because yeah. Blue's, Blue's work is to try and um, protect up to 30% of the Maldives, isn't it, within a marine protected area. But, but, but what more can people in the UK do, Viv? Because it sounds to me as perhaps the best thing we could possibly do, sadly, is not to go. That's a very good, very good question, Amanda. I think the most important thing people can do is, is make sure that, is really do your research on the place that you're going to. Um, I think, like Shah said, there are a lot of resorts that are are now trying to become much more um, eco-conscious, I think, as, as kind of the world is changing and, and people are becoming more aware, which is great and really encouraging to see. But I think there are still some resorts um, who, who, who are not doing that. And I think even more than that, the guest house sector um, is, is an is is a worrying is worrying for the Maldives. So the guest, you know, the Maldives used to be sort of based on this one island, one resort, luxury exclusive, which unfortunately um, was its own sort of, you know, tourist limitation because it meant only the rich and famous could go. Um, and now the Maldives is going towards sort of mass tourism and opening up, you know, package holidays. Um, and there's a lot of locally run uh, guest houses uh, run by Maldivians, which is great for them. Um, but often these um, these locally run guest houses don't have the same, uh, you know, resources that a resort would have. If you're, if you're a guest visiting the Maldives, I think the best thing you can do is to question, um, you know, what are these resorts doing? Um, you need to do your or do your background research. You know, are they offering fishing trips? Are they when you go on these fishing trips? Are, is there a limit on how many fish they're catching? What size of the fish are they catching? Are you just seeing them pull up whatever they want out of the water? Are they are they doing, um, you know, a lot of the resorts leak their pollution onto reefs. We, we ran a seagrass campaign uh, last year because a lot of the resorts were actively ripping up seagrass to make clear lagoons for their guests. And seagrass is, is you know, absolutely critical for the Maldives. And, you know, you, you can see these resorts would be putting plastic sheets over the seagrass. And if you're a guest at the resort, you know, you need to be inquisitive about those things and say, you know, what's going on there? What are you doing? Um, yeah, it sounds like a lot of that responsibility is falling onto the tourists, which is quite right and proper, and we should have a much stronger ecotourism <laughs> sector. But are you calling for any government policy changes or are you calling for any government initiatives or, or more public initiatives that actually say it, it, tourism is part of this solution, but it's not all of the solution? Definitely. I think um, in order to um, 
protect 30% of the Maldives waters. Um, we need to address these issues at um, all, the, all the different sectors. So with the national government, um, we want them to um, increase the ambition to commit to 30% by 2030, as well as protect the most important um, areas, such as these productive um, hotspots like the coral reef areas, these mangroves that protect the islands, um, seagrass areas and the fish breeding areas. Um, so in order to deliver to these international commitments, they need to prioritize protecting these important places. And um, with the tourism industry, um, we want, we are encouraging them to have a bigger involvement in the mar in marine conservation. So this includes um, uh, more sustainability funds or CSR funds going towards um, projects that involves locals um, and help them uh, to meet these targets as well and to clean up their business practices. And most importantly, I think um, Maldivians are islanders. Um, we have been fishing and surviving in these waters for the past 2000 years. And for the most part, we've been doing it very um, sustainably. Um, so um, any measures that are undertaken will definitely affect the livelihoods activities of the majority of the population who still to this day depends on, on the fishing industry. Mm. So I think this campaign um, was, the, was the big hit it was is because it's also ensuring that we are helping them with their livelihoods to ensure that they have fish for tomorrow in order to um, earn a living by fishing um, today, by fishing responsibly today so that they can have fish for tomorrow. <laughs> I think that's why it's, it, was, uh, um, it was successful beyond our expectations. <laughs> yeah. It's really important, isn't it? Because this is a partnership. This is a partnership between the islanders and the Maldivian people and those of us who visit the tourists and, and those who want to carry on visiting in the future. So this is really about creating resilience across your whole community as well as your reefs so it can be enjoyed by everybody forever. And just to go back to your, your point before, Amanda, about, you know, what is Blue doing to, I guess, to kind of... Um, address tourism in the way um, we did run um, a seagrass campaign that I mentioned last year which which challenged resorts um, and encouraged them to to stop stop doing unsustainable practices and it was a brilliant it was a brilliant campaign we did it um, with we couldn't have done it without the help of our uh, partner resort which is Six Senses Lamu and the, and the team that work there and I think that was really great because we used the resort to sort of say um, the resort were willing to sort of put themselves at the front and say, look, we can do this and we can still have great business. You don't have to do, you don't have to, you know, rip up your seagrass beds to get your guests to come in. Um, and it was a brilliant campaign. We got more than um, a quarter of all the resorts in the country to pledge to stop ripping up their seagrass beds and collect uh, and protect more than 800,000 800, meters squared of seagrass. So it was brilliant. But, but in addition to that, Blue does, li we liaise with the government quite a lot. And, um, Going back to what you said even further about, you know, should there be a cap on tourism? There absolutely should be. 
And, you know, island nations need to look at the way that those funds that come in from tourism are funneling down to the communities because more tourists doesn't mean more money for these people. That's not, you know, you need to look at where the money, where the money's going. It's going out of the country or it's going into pockets of, you know, people. It doesn't mean it's funneling down and benefiting the country. Um, and we have uh, Palau, which is a kind of a country in the Pacific, are a fantastic example of what the Maldives should be looking to. Um, they've not only decided to protect 80% of their waters, they've closed a lot of their um, export-based reef fishery, so they're not exporting these reef fish in large volumes. And they've also the first country in the world that when you enter in the country, you have to sign a pledge to say that you will protect this island's resources as a tourist. And they have a cap on the amount of tourists that they let in. And they figured that out by doing some, uh, you know, an economic study to how many tourists do we need? And, and they focused on, you know, high, high value, big spender tourists rather than those that come in on package deals and don't spend any money in the country. So we're doing a lot to try and um, encourage the Maldivian government to take note from them. And, and we're actually trying to see if we can set up a knowledge exchange trip between a Maldivian delegation and, and Palau to kind of take note of how this can be done. You know, this isn't the only way for the Maldives to grow and benefit. There are other ways, other models to look to, which means that you and your people can survive in the future, you know, not at the cost of your reefs. It's about sustainability, isn't it? Sustainable communities, sustainable fishing, sustainable tourism, and really saying this is um, looking to the future for all of us and, you know, our children and grandchildren. So we have the opportunity to enjoy these beautiful, spectacular places, um, you know, in the future and that we haven't overfished or, or damaged them. Thank you all for sharing um, your insights and giving us a glimpse of the beautiful Maldivian um, environment. And I think I'm hearing that while you're welcoming tourists, you really want those that will question and make sure that their tourism is sustainable. Is that right, Shah? Yes, um, definitely. I think we we want this change to come from all, all the different levels. We'll push this change um, from within the community. Um, we also want the tourists who visit the Maldives to help us in these efforts. Thanks. And Ali, it's really a partnership, isn't it? You've got to work on the ground to convince your friends and colleagues to be more responsive to their environment. And also the work you do through Blue helps the rest of us understand the importance of sustainable tourism. Yeah, that's right. I, yeah, it's a partnership. Um, everyone who lives here and everyone who visits here has a part to play. So we all need to be better informed with what kind of decisions we are taking and what kind of activities we are doing. So what we do here, what we try to do is to get com local community to act differently and take responsibility for their environment and sustain and preserve um, it here. And when tourists come here, they also need to play their part uh, uh, to protect uh, the environment. Thank you all for sharing your insights into the beautiful Maldivian way of life and the islands. We're all very jealous that we're not there. So my thanks to Viv, Shah and Ali um, for all you're doing to protect the precious planet. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Blue Marine podcast brought to you by Planet Pod. To find out more about Blue's work, follow them on Twitter at Blue Marine or visit the website bluemarinefoundation.com where you can download previous episodes of the podcast and catch up on the game, Fish Play. Thanks for listening and goodbye. La mer, qu'on voit danser.